morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and... Hi, good morning, Lyle. Morning, morning, how are you? I am so happy that you didn't eat the apple I gave you yesterday. Like, I'm so, so happy about it. You found it. Yeah, I found it rolling around the back of your car, but I forgot my apple this morning, so I'm really happy that you did a typical Lyle and left your stuff in the car <laughs> and didn't eat it. So what, what, what does me mm. not eating my apple mm. have to do with making you happy? Well, I forgot my apple Yes. This morning, and so I yes. got here to work, and I'm like, And you oh, asked no. me whether I'd eaten my apple. I said I hadn't eaten my apple. Yeah, I'm going to eat this now. You think you're going to stop me? <laughs> oh, that's how it goes, <laughs> is it? I see how I this works. I told you I would bring you a fresh one tomorrow, and I'll bring you like a really, really, really yellow one, not just the, the least yellowest one yeah, I have. Yeah, because you, you, you gave me the dodgiest apple out of all of the apples that you bought. <laughs> I just figured now, you wouldn't appreciate it as you much see, as you see I what would. happens? See, yeah, see what yeah, happens? I see exactly now what you yeah, have I to eat the happens. dodgy mm-hmm. one, uh-huh. yeah. uh-huh. and you're going to yeah. have to replace it I with a nice one. Because you don't have any dodgy ones left. What are you grateful for apart from my apple? I'm such an Indian giver. I'm super grateful. Remember how yesterday I was beefing on about how much my calf muscles hurt from all the running I've been doing mm-hmm. and how I wished I had some sort of leg warmer, but all I can seem to find is compression stockings and 80s leg warmers and nothing in between. What's wrong with 80s ones? Dude, they're like, they're so crazy. I can't be at the gym wearing like a pair of Olivia Newton-John leg warmers. <laughs> First of all, way too warm. And uh, second of all, just looking silly. But turns out, check this out, Lyle. I got this yesterday at the chemist. Okay, so here she's digging into her bag. Looking for, you know, rustling around. A what, bandage. Uh, <laughs> it works perfect, Lyle. I'm really grateful this morning. This is Mon. For a bandage. This is Mon, who is worried about looking silly at the gym, <laughs> wearing 80s leg warmers. Oh, no, I'll wear a bandage look, instead. At least I that won't look silly. I'll get Not the sympathy vote. I'll get the sympathy <laughs> vote. But either way, this thing. Actually, I you w- get the hero vote because, like, wow, that woman, she's, she's, yeah, she's, that's she's, it. Um, she's injuring herself. She's <laughs> injured both of her legs and she's still out there going hard. What are you grateful for? Um, I should be grateful for a list of things. Maybe I should start listing all the things that I'm grateful for off my holiday. Let's start with red dirt. Okay, that's all you get this morning. Okay. Anyway, great, great show coming up. <laughs> it makes up for you. the middle of Australia so amazing. Shines light on me. Open up my eyes so I can see. When I look up in the darkest night, then I know everything's gonna be alright. In deep confusion, in great despair, when I reach out for him, he is there. When I am lonely as I can be, then I know that God shines His light on me.
And he heals the lame Says you can do it too In Jesus' name Yes, he'll lift you up and turn you around And he'll put your feet back on higher ground Reach out for him, he'll be there Willing your troubles you can share And he heals the lame Says you can do it too In Jesus' name Yes, he'll lift you up and turn you around And he'll put your feet back on higher ground As the idea of North, whenever God shines his light. You're listening to Faith FM. We are about to give away the first clue for the quiz, so get ready to give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number. And what is our quiz this morning, Mon? I'm a little bit suspicious, Lyle, because I've come in this morning and find found a bunch of quiz cards mm. outside of the quiz box. Yes. Which means someone's been looking at the quiz mm. answers. And it wasn't me. Are you sure, Lyle Southwell? Because I feel like I found you're those the only randomly option. floating around on my end of the desk. What were their quiz cards doing on my end of the that's desk? That's a question I'm trying to find out from you, Lyle. Oh, that Southwell. was what the, that's how it was while what when I got back, and I'm wondering whether there was some some sneakiness going on while I was away. I was cleaning, just simply cleaning I my end like of the desk. I feel like you're just bringing up excuses right now. <laughs> yeah, but I whatever. foiled you because I as pulled if, a fresh as, card as from the if middle I of would the pile. Need, as if I would need excuses. I pulled a fresh one from the middle of the deck, so even if you have cheated, you ain't getting nowhere. You cool. ain't getting nowhere. All right. Bring it on. All right. What creature am I? What career am I? <laughs> Clue number one. The prodigal's brother in Luke 15 complained that his father had never given him this animal so that he could celebrate with his friends. What animal is that? Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. One eight hundred three two four eight four three. Lyle kind of has it right. <laughs> yes, it's written down a word for it that was, yeah, pr- pretty much. Cr- I'll accept. Well, your is that answer. the actual word that's used in the parable? In the one that you're using, yeah. reading. Yeah, mm-hmm. give us a call. One eight hundred Faith FM. One eight hundred three two four eight four three. Or you can text your answer zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Correct answer will win a prize.
Cougar Price too. Mm, I, have, I have another. I have another clue on this one. No, dude. We just gave away the first clue. You're probably going to give away the second clue. Saw lots of these. West of Cobar. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Woo. No one even knows. No one even knows where Co- Co- was it. Cobar. Cobar. Yeah. Everyone knows where Cobar is. Except for me, I've never even heard of it until this very moment. You need to go to Cobar. Okay. You really, really need to go to Cobar. Okay. Your 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 life is just. Is there a pole there? Is that why I'm going? <laughs> <laughs> One of the many amazing poles you toured on this trip of yours. There is um, holes in the ground there. Oh, so yeah, they're halfway to the pole. They <laughs> dug a hole and they thought, ah, this one's <laughs> this corner's not good enough. Cobar's awesome. Hey, I've got a question for you, Lyle. Mm. How do you feel about pil- pilgrimages? Well, it kind of depends how you define a pilgrimage. I've done uh, many pilgrimages. I just came back from a pilgrimage. Oh, yeah? Yeah. My- how was it for you, like, in a sort of mental... Yeah, and, and I look at pilgrimages a little bit different from what a lot of other people might. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for many Australians, the trip to the Red Centre is a pilgrimage. Okay. It's something that we do as Australians. It's something that, you know, m- most Australians aspire to do once in their life, you know, go to Ayers Rock and Uluru and, and places like that. These are national, um, natural icons. And so, yeah, it's, it's a kind of pilgrimage. Are there any pilgrimage? Now, now, I'll continue on with this, with this theme a little bit because you have, you know, some people who go to a pilgrimage um, and go to a sacred site mm. um, and stand there in awe and, you know, stand around trying to, you know, conjure up a, uh, a spiritual experience. Uh-huh. And, and I'm sure many do have a spiritual experience at a sacred site. For me, the sacredness of Ayers Rock... Um, and the Olgas, um, Uluru and so forth, does not come from um, any sacredness that God has placed in them, but it is a sacred site in that it is a part of nature. It is, a, it is an outstanding part of nature, and nature has been created and given to us by God as his second book to reveal his character. So I'm thinking more about the journey than the destination, but are there any sort of like pilgrimages in the Bible? Hmm. Uh, journeys. You're talking about journeys now. Like, well, like you know, when you go on a pilgrimage, you don't. Necess- it's not necessarily about. The yeah, and, and I guess I guess maybe journey. something similar might be, you know, the annual Jewish feasts where the Jewish people would journey to the temple mm-hmm. and worship at the temple. So normally they would worship, you know, in their home, um, you know, in their synagogue. But, you know, several times a year they would travel to the temple, you know, for the Day of Atonement or for the Passover or, you know, for the various different uh, festivals that they have there. And you could call that a pilgrimage. So ha- There are other pilgrimages that take place today, like, you know, the Hajj and the, the Muslims go to Mecca and, and uh, many uh, Christians and Jews and Muslims, of course, go to Jerusalem. Um, and that's seen as somewhat of a pilgrimage. I've been there myself. I saw it more as a opportunity for historical research. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people who were on the tour with me would definitely saw it as an opportunity for a, a very rich spiritual experience. Have you ever done? I, I think that I can be just as close to Jesus right here in this studio as in Jerusalem. Have you ever done the Camino <coughs> Camino de Santiago Trail? No. Do you want to? Yes. Yeah, me too. I've never heard of it, but. <laughs> I'm not in Australia, so I want to do it. You, you have heard of this. I'm pretty sure you're the person who told me about it. Okay. I'm pretty sure you are. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking the uh, the South Youngest Road sounds pretty good. 
the south is that the, the, the most dangerous road in the world? Uh-huh. Yeah, of course you're thinking about that. <laughs> of course you're thinking about that. No, the, the Camino de Santiago, uh, it's still, it's, uh, in English, it's the Way of the Saints. Uh, sorry, the Way of St. James. Um, it's like a, it's actually a network of pilgrim, pilgrimages leading to the shrine of the Apostle of St. James the Great in the cathedral uh, in Spain. Okay. And so um, it, people do this every year and it's huge. I think it's one of the most popular pilgrimages in the world. It's, oh, how long is it? Um, so you got to walk this thing? Yeah, it takes you weeks. and people, Oh, you walk it? Yeah, you walk it on foot. On foot. That's the thing. You do it on foot. And people come from all around the world and they either do like the whole thing. Or now, which James is this? It. Is this James the son of Zebedee, James the son of Alpheus, or James the brother of Jesus? I should have researched that before I started talking about it. I just figured you'd know what it was. Um, I'm, I'm just curious which one, it, I mean, which one do they claim went to Spain? Hang on. I do have it open in front of me on the internet. Okay. But which I'm not is sure. the answer to all questions. Yeah. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> it was on the internet. It must be true. Anyway, tell me about the pilgrimage. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, you. Hang on. Nineteen fifty-seven was when, they, in modern times, when they started doing like what they call the road to Santiago, um, and uh, and so in they like back before it was you know a bit of a thing as well, but now like it's sort of more like tourism. So uh, over three hundred thousand people do this every year. Three hundred thousand miles. That's like almost half a million people do this every year. Uh, they, so they walk across Europe, um, making their way down to Spain. Um, so, I mean, some people do it by bicycle, um, some people on horseback and donkey, uh, but most of the time by foot. And um, man, I wish somewhere on this website it would tell me. Oh, it's, uh, so the, one of the first distances is about 800 kilometers and the second leg is about 227 kilometers. So it's really, really long. It's yeah. really long. It takes weeks. But if you start in Spain, then it's only going to be like... Oh, yeah, 100 yeah. 100 kilometers. Yeah, you can do like a shorter leg Spanish. of it. If you're Spanish. Yeah, if you, you can do a shorter leg of it. Yeah. But if you're Russian, then it's going to be very long. Anyway, the reason I was telling you about this is um, in 2015, there was a guy, Mark Joseph Pareto. Uh, he was actually driving home from an important business meeting. He was starting up his own business. Um, but he actually never made it home to celebrate with his family. Uh, instead, a car that was traveling the opposite side of the highway crossed over the median strip and smashed into his car. Mm. And um, so his foot was shattered. He broke several bones in his face. Um, and the injuries and surgeries later basically rendered him unable to walk for a year. And, uh, and he had to abandon his business plan. And um, he didn't know this at the time, but apparently the driver of the other car was also suffering. Uh, the reason the other driver, his name was Luke Hutchins, uh, had lost control of his car was because he'd suffered from a seizure, um, his first ever seizure, but not unfo- not his last, unfortunately. Yep. So he was also airlifted to the hospital and um, and was told that he had veins in his brain that had formed two deadly knots, which uh, ended up um, giving him chronic epilepsy. And um, and you know and, and he eventually they said this this uh, could end up with a cavernous and a brain issue. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> It's Tuesday. Anyway, so this means that Luke, the driver of the car that crossed over, he could no longer work, drive, or take care of his family. So they're two very devastated men, but they didn't know what happened to each other. So Mark, uh, he was still angry with this anonymous driver that cost him his career, and he ended up becoming embittered, um, and he, you know, he had a limp um, for a long, long time, even after that first year of not going to walk at all. But he decided to walk the 500-mile version, like the 800-kilometer version of the Camino de Santiago. Um, so he began in France and he walked through the Pyrenees Mountains and ended up in Spain. 
And um, and apparently the reason that thousands of people do this every year is to, to find healing for his soul. Okay. So he was he was doing it for like... He knew he was better and he knew it was a problem and he knew he needed to get over it. Yeah, that's right. So, so he... So go and get out there and walk it off. It took him the better part of a year... Because he did it, because he, he was, you know, having such a struggle doing it. So yeah, he walked it off. By the time he finished, he was no longer angry, right? But he realized he had one more thing to do to complete his journey of healing, and that was to meet Luke. And neither had neither of them knew the other person's story. So at first, they were too nervous to speak to each other. But then they found out, you know, what really happened. He knew that he wasn't at fault that he had a seizure, and they met. And then realized that Luke was also desperately needing healing because of, you know, he's having seizures, can't look after his family, can't work. And so you know what Mark decided to do? Mm. Took Luke on the same trip. They oh, walked really? the Camino together. Oh, wow. And he did it twice. 800 kilometers. They walked it together. They said that first, when they first embarked on it, um, Luke was on all these medications, you know, that was preventing him from eating properly. And so on the first day, they did a really steep climb up the mountains and Mark had to basically carry him on his back to help him up the, up the hills. And, uh, but yeah, they refused to quit and they committed to do the brutal, brutal trek together. And, uh, and as time progressed, Luke actually became stronger and was able to come off the medications. Um, yeah. Exercise will do that. Yeah. And then as they did it, they had heart to heart talks. They, you know, about, you know, the day of the accident, they covered all that. And then they triumphantly reached the shrine together. Um, oh, it says here, remains of Apostle St. James the Great are said to be buried. And yeah, and then they returned home, stronger in mind and stronger in spirit. There you go. What a wonderful story and a great way of dealing with bitterness in your soul. This is CC Winnens with Never Have to Be Alone.
That was CC Winnens with Never Have to Be Alone here Winans. on Faith. Every single time you talk about that woman, you say her name wrong. Are get, you sure about that? I corrected you after we came off that last tune and you still said it wrong as you came back on. I'm going to get on the phone and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Maybe we should interview this person and ask her name. I'd be very surprised if you get CC Winans on this show. She's like super, super famous. Yeah, I'm a bit of an... Anyway, we could try. <laughs> Why not? Let's give her a call. See what happens. Let's do it. Producer Shell, get CC Winans on the phone stat. <laughs> I won't get the thumbs up from Producer Shell. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Piece of cake. I'm sure she'd be happy to talk and to And when us. we're done with her, get Barack Obama on the phone. <laughs> Have a chat with him too. <laughs> <coughs> this is Faith FM. What are you talking Abs- about? They absolutely. Would, they, they would be absolutely love themselves to be on here. 100% anyway. agree. Who wouldn't want to be on this show? Anyway. Um, oh, another clue for the quiz? Another clue for the quiz. That's another clue right. for the quiz. Okay. Let's see if Lyle can get it really, really right. Because you've only got it like kind of right. Oh, I've got it completely right. You've got it kind of right, Lyle. Heaps of them out near Cobar. Okay, what creature am I? Rebecca helped deceive Isaac by covering Jacob in skins belonging to this creature. Give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM. All right. There you go. Yeah. Now Lyle's Oh, whatever. Right. I was right the first time. <laughs> I was absolutely correct the first time. Anyway, uh, right. So, Mon. Yeah. You're an environmentally responsible person. Did you say irresponsibly? I said responsible. I, I like to think in some areas I am, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a very qualified answer right there. Look, there's always room for improvement, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, all right? Okay, so um, your laptop computer you've got sitting right there, what do you plan to do with that once it's dead? First of all, while Or what should you be doing with it? I've had it since 2012. This thing will never die. Okay, so it's immortal. Do you know what? what I've never thought... Oh, actually, no, I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It. I'm going to stick it in a box and post it to my geeky brother, who will probably tear it apart. <laughs> <laughs> and recycle it, right? I, I imagine... <laughs> what is it you're supposed Use to do with parts. them? Okay, e-waste is supposed to be recycled as e-waste. You're not supposed to throw it in your willy bin. Okay. Because if it's, it's it's full of um, all kinds of really nasty uh, chemicals and this, metals. My computer is full of chemicals. Yeah, absolutely. Ha- I didn't even know that. I thought There's, metals um, for sure, but I didn't realize chemicals. I mean, I won't send it to my brother if like the Apple Store tells me that I can get like a bit of. Okay, okay, but, but well, let's purchase. talk about metals. And it's it's, uh, it's got iron, manganese, lead, nickel, um, arsenic, and cadmium. Arsenic. Yeah. Is arsenic in my laptop? Absolutely. My laptop could kill me. Uh huh. I had no idea. And so, if you throw it in your willy bin, it goes into um, it goes into landfill, and then all of those chemicals just leach out into the soil, and can be kind of nasty. Did you see? Did you see those, that picture I sent you yesterday with the nettings? They, I did. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I wonder just, if it's a real thing, though. It's just amazing how much stuff was in. I those know. Nets. I know. Yeah. One of our listeners sent us through a picture yesterday. Well, sent to me uh, yesterday. Um, Apparently, something they're trialing in Australia. I hadn't heard of it before. And uh, basically, there's stormwater drain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And w- at the other end where it, where it comes out, what they've done is they've basically affixed a net 
um, to the stormwater drain. So the water can, can continue passing through the net and out as it usually goes, but anything chunky gets caught in the yeah, net. Yeah, just collects all the plastic out. Yeah, and that way saves it from going in our waterways. Um, but i got to tell you, those nets were chockers full of trash. Yes, and I don't think it would have taken them very long to reach that particular point. Anyway, getting back to my main story, yeah, as on. responsible human beings, we are encouraged to recycle our e-waste at e-waste recycling centres. Oh, it's a thing now. Yeah, it's a thing. You, okay. you take it to a centre where they deal with it responsibly, and that's the responsible thing that uh, human beings are supposed to do. Um, and that way, we are told that you know it's not being bad for the environment, all that kind of thing. Except that a lot of that e-waste then gets packed up and shipped off to developing countries, such as Thailand. In the past, it used to be shipped off to China. China is still kind of at capacity; they're not taking any more. Um, and so now you've got companies uh, setting up in many, many other places. In India, of course, the way that they recycle e-waste is that uh, people will live on the dump. They, they will go around the dump. They collect it off the dump. They'll take your computer. They'll set fire to it and let the lead dribble out the bottom from all of the solder joints. And uh, that little bit of lead they'll turn in for uh, a little bit of uh, a few coins here and there. And so you can imagine what that's doing to the environment. Wait a second. Yes. We were shipping our trash Well, to now China? we're shipping it to Thailand. We, we were shipping it to China. Now we're what shipping it to Thailand. What were the Chinese doing with it? Um, same thing? Same thing. They basically mine it. What they do is they mine it uh, for lead, for copper, for um, gold and silver. Um, How can minute that be trace amounts that exist. Anyway, financially feasible. The cost of shipping all the junk there. Surely the 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 stuff they is mine it, from it, it can't it, cover it, that it, cost. It, no, it's, it's very financially feasible. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so but we get a warm fuzzy feeling when we ever whenever we deal with our e waste in a, in a responsible manner, not realizing that when it gets to a developing country, it is dealt with in a totally irresponsible manner. manner. Yes. And so you've got all of these illegal companies being set up in Thailand at the moment, which is where Australian e waste is now going. Uh, and it is completely comp- polluting the environment. You've got uh, large swathes of agricultural land around these recycling facilities that is now dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, the water has been destroyed. Um, the locals living there, they, they can't drink the water. It stinks. Oh, no. um, their cassava plantations are just rotting in the ground. Um, you know, all these kind of hap- things happening because, you know, the idea is just to get those um, elements out of your e-waste, your computers and TVs and, you know, all of that kind of material just as cheaply as possible and the rest just goes straight into groundwater. That's really, really horrible. I, I had no idea. I'm, I'm thinking back over every single gadget so, I've ever so owned. You think about the amount of gadgets that exist in developed countries and where they are all ending up. Um, the amount of e-waste going to Thailand since 2017 has increased by 500 times. What? How, that how is our world right now. That much. Well, you think about it, how often do you go through computers? How often? Do you, and you're just a, you're just an individual. I'm an anomaly. You're yeah. an anomaly, but you're just an individual. And uh, if every individual, um, you know, in a developed country buys a new computer like you do, what every eight years, maybe in ten years, then start to add those figures up, and you know that most are buying one every three years, or less, uh, plus yeah. your phone, plus your mm-hmm. TV, plus mm-hmm. your um, your sound system, plus your 
you know, and, and it just goes on and on. Your washing machine, your fridge, your, your appliances. Your appliances. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about how much e-waste there is in your house that you generate as an individual. Then you think about how much industry and business is generating, which is on a different scale altogether. And, you know, they're updating their equipment so much more regularly than what we are as individuals. And all of that is going into waste. There must be a better way to deal with this. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's becoming a little bit like um, a, a little bit like nuclear waste. It's like, what, where do you do, where do you put it? What do you do with it? You know, how, how do you solve it? You know, because uh, like in India, they just take your computer and burn it and, and catch the the solder as it dribbles out the bottom. I mean, that's a terrible thing for the environment. You've just given me an idea. When you said nuclear waste, I was like, why don't we take all the waste and stick it where nuclear blasters happen where people can't live anymore anyway? They don't do there. that anymore. Like, like, oh yeah, you mean you mean like in Chernobyl? Yeah, just exactly. Fill Chernobyl up yeah, with, fill up uh, Chernobyl. We can't. We can't. No one's going to live there anyway. Ever. But Chernobyl's kind of cool now. Have you seen it? It's no, amazing. Just fill that thing up with trash. It's not healthy. We shouldn't go there. Interesting thought. Anyway, on another uh, another quick story just before we finish up. Um, credit card debt in Australia. Um, 1.9 million Australians are now struggling with credit card debt. That's 15 percent of all adults. And the age bracket where it is increasing the most is 55 and older. What? Which from 2009 to 2019 has gone up from 19% to 26%. What? I would have said And as far as uh, the the Salvation Army, uh, Financial Counselling Service, 49% of what they deal with is credit card debt, 30% personal loans, 25% electricity bills. That's a bit of a sign of the times, isn't it? Um, but basically what is happening is that um, you know people build up a big credit card debt then they get hit with illness, separation, or loss of employment, and they are suddenly in trouble. The Bible says, own no man anything. Let's get out of debt as fast as we can. I owe you an apple, Lyle. You do. I might have to Absolutely. get that to you That's, soon. I've yeah. got a verse in the Bible just for you. <laughs> Well, I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses The voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses And He walks with me And He talks with me And He tells me I am His own And the joy that we share as we tarry there Nobody else has ever known He speaks and the sound of His voice All the birds hush their singing And the melody that He gave to me is in my heart Just a ring, a ring, a ring, a ring, a ring And He walks with me And he talks with me And he tells me I am his own And the joy that we share As we tarry there Nobody else has ever known Tells me I am his 
share as we tarry there. None other has ever. You are listening to Daniel Martin Moore with In the Garden here on Faith FM, and Mon has another clue for our quiz. What have you got for us yes, there, Mon? Indeed. Okay, clue number three. What creature am I? As a part of a sin offering, Aaron was to lay both hands on the head of this creature and confess all of Israel's sin. He then sent it into the desert. Ooh, look up Leviticus chapter something sixteen. <laughs> and then an give clue. us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. You can win the breakfast prize this morning. Okay, joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. John Ashton to talk about creation and particularly to talk about his book, Evolution Impossible. Uh, Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Yeah, great to have you on the show again this morning. And uh, this week we're talking about uh, geological evidence for a catastrophic catastrophic global flood. Now, John, I have to tell you that I've just got back from uh, spending some time in Central Australia. We crossed the Simpson Desert. We went to Uluru, Kings Canyon, uh, the West McDonald Ranges, a whole bunch of places. And the whole time I was out there, I felt like I was driving through some of the greatest evidences for a global catastrophic flood that there that I've ever seen in my life. Now, I understand you've been out there as well. Would you, would you agree with that uh, summary? Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's right. And you you see the layer upon layer of the uh, the different sediments that have been deposited. And then when you look in the distance, you you see the mountains and the the, the tops are all flat. So you have these mountains right as if they've been sort of cut off, and you can see it's sort of like as water was passing, it's just sheared off and taken the um, the material away, and it's just left at level. And then you've got all this you know sand deposit in the uh, in the centre there. Yeah, and one of the things I found interesting was, you know, because we went to a lot of places where there wasn't a lot of tourists, but we did go to some of the, the tourist locations, and, and I love to walk around and, and read all the plaques and, and drive my, my poor wife insane while she's waiting for me um, to read everything that there is to read. But Just take a picture of the plaque and read it later on your phone. <laughs> when we were going through Kings Canyon, there was a couple of things that I noticed, and they made me smile because... They've got these these rock formations where you've got um, layers of sand that have been laid down, and, and and some of them are on an angle, and then cutting straight through them, you'll find them coming at another angle, and then a different angle again. And they explained how that this was formed by um, sand dunes, wind, you know, creating sand dunes, and that they know that how this was how it was formed because they can see it on a small level in tidal environments. In other words, they know how it was formed many millions of years ago by wind because we can see it being done by water. And I sort of had to think to myself, you know what? You've just said that uh, our best evidence for this is, uh, is by water. Is, uh, is, is that a fair summary, do you think? Well, 
generally sedimentary rocks are laid down underwater and I guess they're trying to explain how you could have the strata on those particular angles. But it's very interesting that the slope of a dune, when you see a sand dune and, um, and it has that particular slope and with the wind the dune slowly moves forward and it gives these um, uh, layer effects. Um, now, from that, actually, we can calculate the speed of the water, and this has been done in a in a number of areas. And from those calculations, it shows that the water to deposit the the sort of sand under those sort of layers uh, was moving at the sort of speeds associated with tsunami. So it was actually very rapid water movement. The other thing that uh, often they don't take into account is the large volume of uh, material that has to be transported to form those particular structures. And sure, in, in, in terms of um, surface phenomena in recent time, you can get a little bit of uh, windblown uh, sediment uh, deposited. But by and large, it's um, you know generally accepted that these deposits and, and layers were laid down underwater. That's the standard geology textbook explanation. Yeah, one of the other things that we noticed in Kings Canyon was we came, you know, after having read that particular plaque, the next plaque that I came to um, had a layer of stone that was sort of in between these layers, and they said, oh, this layer was made by running water. And so you've sort of got these wind created layers and then you've got water created layers and anyway i found it fascinating i found it one of the most interesting places uh to to uh to actually visit and to me i felt like i was just surrounded by by evidence of the flood yes king's canyon is particularly spectacular isn't it from that perspective and so it's sort of like australia has its own uh, grand canyon system not quite as big as the u.s one but nonetheless quite spectacular Beautiful place to uh, to visit and uh, highly recommended to anybody who is listening. Take the time and head out to the Red Sender. Lots of amazing things to see out there. John, what else do we see in the uh, in our world today that gives us uh, geological evidence for a, uh, a cat- catastrophic global flood? Well, look, the the evidence is is huge in that the surface of the Earth is covered by. Um, mostly covered by a thin layer of sediment that was laid down underwater. So when we look at sedimentary rocks, and so sedimentary rocks are rocks that are recognised that have been laid down underwater, such as conglomerates, that's where you have the large pebbles embedded in amongst smaller pebbles or sandstone, then you have your sandstones, then you have your what you call the, the shales, which are a finer grain material and mudstones and limestones. All these sort of uh, uh, rock, uh, rocks that are sedimentary rocks that are laid down under water as opposed to volcanic rocks like granites and basalts. And so when we look at the surface of the earth, most of the rocks that we find on the surface of the earth are rocks that have been laid down underwater and, and they form a thin layer. So the crust of the earth is you know, quite uh, thick, I forget the actual amount now, 20k thick, something like this. But then we have this thin layer on the very surface that is sedimentary rocks. Now, the uh, the 
explanation for this is that these rocks had to be laid down underwater and when you look at the conglomerates where you've got large pebbles and sometimes boulders, that requires huge volumes of water to be moving at very high speed. The other thing is that we find these layers all over the world and they're all much the same sort of layers. And so it's very hard to imagine if there were lots of little local floods everywhere, as sometimes people try to explain the biblical flood, how come the, the same sort of sequence of layers are laid down right across the world, Europe, America, Australia, Africa? They're a long way away. Why should they be laid down at the same way if they occurred at different times millions of years apart? The other thing is, of course, that... Um, the, this entire layer, uh, which spans about, you know, 540 million years uh, is the time frame to lay down these layers. We find the, the bottom layer, the, the sort of Cambrian, was a water extinction event occurred there where we find lots of fossils. And then if we go to the Cretaceous, which is 400 million years later in terms of geological time scale, we have, again, a global extinction event. And so the standard geology texts say that during the Cretaceous, that's when a lot of the limestone deposits were laid down all around the world, the world was essentially entirely covered by water. Now, in between those events, we have, in actual fact, global extinction events by water at different periods in between those um, uh, those years, uh, the Ordovician and um, and so forth, they all correspond to periods where there were massive uh, marine extinctions, the Devonian period, the Permian period, and even the Triassic period. These were all global extinction events that produced a whole lot of fossils right across the world, all caused by water. Now, what the Bible says, of course, that this was one event that this occurred at one time and fairly recently. So what's the evidence we have for that? The evidence that we have for that is that the layers that were laid down, the sedimentary layer, the, the strata, so when you're driving through a cutting, say, on the, you know, the, the freeway, and you look at the rock layers, you can see all the layers, and they're essentially parallel. Or if you look at pictures of the, the Grand Canyon, if you haven't been there, or if you've been there yourself, you, see, you can see all these strata are laid down, and they're conformably laying on top of one another. That is, there's no signs of erosion in between the layers. And so there's one part of the Grand Canyon there, I think it's on the eastern face, where you've got what represents 300 million years of geological time. With, uh, and it's about uh, a 1,000 metres of uh, sediments on top of one another. And they're all parallel layers representing all these different time periods where extinctions occurred, but there's no sign of erosion. No sign of erosion in between the layers. So this is really powerful evidence, really, really powerful evidence that those multiple global extinction events where the geologists recognised the world was covered by water, catastrophically covered by water, that wiped out animals, buried land animals as well as marine animals, and worldwide 
it must have all occurred at the same time. It must have occurred over a very short period and laid down those layers in a very short time because there's no signs of erosion in between. There's no signs of turbulence. Okay, so that sort of raises a question in my mind, just sort of thinking that through as, you, as you're mentioning it. Um, so if we look at our sedimentary lock, rocks like mudstone or sandstone, these are typically softer kinds of stone. You've got these layers building up with no sign of erosion. When we look at what's happening in our world today, do we find you know, sandstones and mudstones, do they erode faster than they are? Do we see them eroding faster than the same kind of rock is being, we see being created? Oh, well, the, the, the rate at which the deposits have laid down, well, this raises a very interesting point, actually, too, that... When uh, rocks are laid down and the sediments and these layers that are claimed, in actual fact, we have what is called bioturbulence. So, and it's happening all the time. Under the natural situations that we see today, we don't see actual layers being formed to the same extent. Why? Because there's turbulence and they get all mixed up. They get mixed up by the action of the ocean currents, mix the sediments up before they set and settle, you know, animal activity and, and so forth and this sort of thing, just the swirling currents mixes the layers up. So if you looked out to, to sea off our coastline here, we in the sand that is buried, we're not going to see great sort of layers uh, buried there because the action of the waves and that is going to be mixing it up. Now sometimes on a beach, when you'll see when the sand has been washed up after a storm, you'll see multiple layers when you and you know sometimes when a, a creek has come out and you'll see and this sand is still softer and you'll see the layers uh, sitting in there and the reason is it's only just recently been deposited and it hasn't been mixed up yet. Yep. yep. So there's a whole lot of evidence, so you know, pointing to the fact that these layers, in order the fact that they survived must have been laid down very quickly on top of one another. Okay, just coming back to one other point that you were making a little bit earlier about these um, extinction events. You listed a whole number of extinction events. And the thing that goes through my mind is that doesn't the process of evolution creating the vast um, amount of variety of life that we have in our world right now, doesn't that have to kind of have to start all over again each time one of these extinction events happens? And, and doesn't that then shorten the time span uh, dramatically for you know, the opportunity for evolution to create the kind of animals, that, uh, creatures that we see? Well, yes. Look, there are so many problems with the theory of evolution from so many... Um, different aspects and I think that there's so many problems to the point that the only reason why scientists can really cling to still believing in evolution is to have the world view that evolution must have happened and that there's no other explanation. If you say that, look for other sorts of explanations, the evidence becomes so massive that evolution was absolutely impossible and didn't occur. Mm. It's the only explanation. You know, another classic example, and you may have seen examples in the Kings Canyon, this sort of thing, is you've got very sharp folding of the rocks. Mm -hmm. So how can rocks, and, and when you look at those layers, they may, might represent a million years between the top and the bottom of those layers of rocks, and yet they're all sharply folded. How can hard rocks bend and fold? Well, this you is know, an interesting thought. Have, 
no explanation for this and they just sort of ignore it. It's sort of like in the too hard basket, we don't know how it happened. You know, you can't bend hard rock. The only way you can bend those rocks to form those sharply um, folded strata is they have to be still soft and pliable. They haven't set hard yet. Yeah, and anyone who drives through the West McDonald Ranges is going to drive for an hour or so or, you know, even a couple of hours past, you know, one folded, one fold after another fold after another fold after another fold in the rocks, you know, on, 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 the, on that southern yeah. side there. It's just, it's just, you know, you've got miles and miles and miles of it. Yeah, so these rocks were all deposited, those layers were deposited one after the other, massive forces... Massive catastrophic deposition of water to lay those, uh, form those days. We don't see any processes occurring today that are similar to those sort of processes, laying down new rock formations. We see volcanic eruptions happen. But we do see situations like the Grand Canyon forming very quickly, such as after the Mount St. Helens eruption when one of the uh, sort of uh, areas that had trapped water burst and you had this massive amount of water flowing down. Within hours, a, a miniature Grand Canyon was carved through the, the layers. And also we saw the layers of ash from the volcano form these different layers um, and that occurred all during, the vol- all during the eruption, yet if they were geologically interpreted without uh, you know, dating, just looking at the layers, they would have said that those layers formed over hundreds of thousands of years, whereas in actual fact they formed over a few hours. So what, what we observe today, again, we're, uh, explains that the structures that we see preserved must have occurred rapidly and um, the, the evidence is overwhelming and this exactly fits the flood model described in the Bible. John, we're going to be talking more about this uh, next uh, next month when we come back to uh, continue this discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for sharing information from your book, Evolution Impossible, available uh, from all good bookstores, uh, BBF or online. I'm sure you won't have any trouble finding Dr. John Ashton's book, Evolution Impossible. We also have the uh, Creation Conference coming up too, don't we, Lyle? Happening uh, today, starting this, today. Yeah, yeah, get in on that. Absolutely. We'll talk more about it in the next break. This is Gungor with My Father's World. This is my father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings and
Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Have you ever been challenged by evolution? Ever struggled to give a reasoned answer for your faith? Or ever felt overwhelmed by the predominance of belief? In evolution, then you need to be at the 2019 Faith and Science Conference. 13 top level scientists and professors from around the world will be presenting on the most astounding discoveries, completely refuting the theory of evolution. July 16 to 19, Avondale College, Kurumbong, New South Wales. For details, call us now on 1 800 324 843. 